So I'm spending some time with Jesus, and I'm spending some time at the beach with Jesus, and I'm just loving on his creation, and I'm thanking him for his creation. So I'm enjoying it, and I'm thanking him, and, and, and God begins to stir something in my heart very powerfully. I'm not going to talk a long time today because I think he wants to do some stuff, but, but I think that there's something stirring in my heart, and I want to say this because I just don't know quite what it is. God has taken me to a different level in, in, my, in, in what I talk about, in my revelation, in my understanding of his word, and I don't mean braggadociously, what I mean it as is something shifted in me um, and what used to take me a week to put together. God would give me a revelation. It would be very profound. I'd like it. I'd put it together. I'd articulate it the way that it's my style. Me and Jesus would meet and talk and work it out. And then Sunday, I'd give it to you guys. And now what's happening to me is very frustrating. He gives me these revelations and I go, whoa, I don't understand. I don't know what that means. I know it's true. But I can't prove it. Does that make sense? I can't walk it out yet. Uh, and, and, then, and then I can theologically prove a lot of it. I can go through the Bible and say, yes, 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 that makes sense. Wow. Um, but if I preached it to you, it would just be preacher talk, okay? Because I can't walk it out yet. And I won't preach something that I can't actually live, okay? If I tell you all you got to do is snap your fingers three times and, and everyone's healed, and I can't snap my fingers three times, then I'm not going to preach that. Does that make sense? I'm not going to do something that I can't replicate or I can't prove out. So God keeps giving me these revelations, uh, and he's taking me to this deeper place, and he's stirring something. He's setting something up, and I can see it. See, he's, he's Jehovah Sneaky. He's got tricks, okay? And I see it. He's got this one little revelation way over here, and this one little revelation way over here, and this one over here, and I'm like, oh, I see these fit. I see them, I just don't know which order yet and how. But I can see that these are not separate revelations, that he's leading me to some profound moment. And so what I've decided to do is take you along on that journey, if that's okay, okay? So I'm not saying all this will click uh, necessarily as we go, but I'm going to start setting some pieces in motion that I think will turn into something very profound for you, uh, if you'll just hear me. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about love, okay? Oh, that's deep, right? Some love, yeah, that's very deep. It's the deepest thing you will ever understand about the Word of God, okay? And I'm not talking about love up here. I'm talking about something supernatural, okay? I'm talking about something called supernatural love, okay? And it is so profound and life-changing that if you'll grasp even a glimpse of what I'm talking about today, if you'll grasp even a tenth of what I'm trying to say, you'll start to realize that your understanding of love does not really even register on the Richter scale of what love is. Okay? It doesn't even create a tremor in your life. Uh, uh, you know, some of you get the, get the tremors when you see your love, you know, like, but they, what, you don't even have a clue of where God is at. You know, little stomach tremors, right? Little butterflies, right? All right. So if you're taking notes with me this morning, go to John 15, verses 14 through 17. That's where we're at. John 15, verses 14 through 17. And it says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Quick fruit, lasting fruit, right? And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. All right, I want to break this down. So in verse 15, we learned something. We learned that the disciples are servants, right? They're called servants, and Jesus takes them from servant to friendship. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. 
right? And, and so this is very profound about the love of God and where we're going. Uh, and, and, and what's great about this is in relationships there are different levels. So I want to go over these different levels with you real quick, and I'll come back to this. In relationship to God, there are different levels. And so in my understanding of the Bible, uh, in my understanding of reading it, these are different levels that I see. And now there's sub-levels in there, but, I, but for time's sake, I won't go through them. I'm just going to explain the different levels of relationship that you can have with God. The first level that most people can start out in is their enemies of God. That is their relationship status, right? So if you're Facebooking, right, you'd say enemy of God, right? Uh, and so that would be the first one. You're actually opposed to God. You don't understand him. you against him. You do things that, that uh, hurt the kingdom of God. Maybe you were in your kid. You made fun of all the Christians, right? Um, or whatever. I actually used to march across the street every time the light would turn green when I was like 12 or 13, and I would sing the song, Onward Christian Soldiers. You remember that? And I go, Onward Christian Soldiers, even though I'm not one. I would say that. And I, I didn't know God was like, oh, you gonna be. Oh, you gonna be. I didn't know. So I would say I was an enemy of God at the time, okay? Um, because uh, I was resistant. Oh, I was, I was bad. I was in choir class when I was a kid. Um, my choir teacher, I didn't like him. He was mean, mean. Mr. Mosley, if you're watching, you were mean, okay? <laughs> okay, he was, he, was, he was really mean to me. And so it was very, it was like traumatic, like how mean he was. But um, I decided I'd get him back. Uh, and so we came to the Christmas choir program, and it was all the songs that have Jesus in it, like Oh Holy Night and stuff like that. You know, all the Christmas songs that got Jesus in it, and I refused under religious grounds because I'm a Jew, that I would not participate in this Christmas program, and that he could not make me sing songs against my faith. I don't sing about Jesus. I'm a Jew. And so I refused to sing songs about Jesus. So I would put myself in the category of, of ornery, but I was really an enemy of God, right? Right? And so I was an enemy of God. And then the second relationship level that you can get to is called being distant from God. You're not an enemy to him, but you, you, you're not close. There's no closeness between you. Maybe you know him or you'd say, I believe in God. Maybe some of you are that would say, ah, well, someone says, are you a Christian? You say, well, I believe there's a God. Okay? That would be a distant relationship. Okay? You know of him. You've heard of him. Maybe you think that there is a creator of the universe, but you have no relationship. So that's distant. All right, the next one would be rescued, okay? You are no longer distant, but God has now found you and rescued you. You are saved. You, you have accepted Jesus into your life. You are now rescued by God. That doesn't make you a friend of God. It just makes you rescued, okay? He has drug you out of the, the drowning situation you're in and put you in a lifeboat. And so now you have a hope inside of you, okay? And then the next one that you go to is called a fan, all right? So you've been rescued by God, and now you're like, I like you. You're pretty good. I'll listen to you. I'll follow you around and listen to you, right? Jesus had a lot of fans. He had a lot of people that just showed up to hear him speak, but very few that showed up in the upper room, okay? So he only had 120 disciples, had 5,000 showing up to hear him speak. Most of those were fans, okay? They didn't play on the team. They just watched the team, right? Some of you guys are still reeling because your Cowboys lost, right? And I was very gracious and didn't rub it in that my Rams won, um, okay? But all of you guys are Rams fans now, aren't you? No? You going for Patriots? You got to pick one. Anyways, all right, so, you know, so. All right, so you go from fans, and the next thing is once you realize, like, hey, I need to really be involved. Like, I need to just follow this guy. And so you become servants of Christ. 
All right, so you go from fans to servants, and you begin to serve God. So what you do is instead of just listening and showing up to church, you start helping out, right? You start doing things that God tells you to do. You start to become involved, and you become a servant of God. And a lot of us like to either exist in the fan place or the servant place. And we say, well, I like coming, and I like the way church makes me feel. And the next one says, I like coming and helping out. I like the way it makes me feel to help out and be involved. And that puts us in the servant category, all right? But then, then... I believe that there's a next step to that, and that's what we're talking about in John, where he becomes friends, where we actually become known as a friend of God. See, I believe God has many servants, but I believe he has very few friends. And it's a different relationship to accept yourself and to walk in relationship as a friend of God than just as a servant of God. Now, you always stay servants. He's still the king but you can get to that friend situation, okay? Um, and then I believe it goes even further than that. The disciples were just beginning to understand the deepness of relationship. After that, you can become a son or a daughter of God. And I believe that's even better than being a friend, right? Because now you're blood to the king, okay? Now you, that's when you start to accept not only that you serve God and that you love God, that you have a good relationship, but now you're family to him. Now you are starting to believe and claim the things that his word says. You're standing, you're delivering, and you're going in authority into the world, okay? You can say I'm friends with somebody, but you don't have it, you don't have their authority just being their friend, do you? Like people will be impressed. Oh, you're friends with so and so. Wow. But you don't have his authority, do you? Right? I have lots of pastor friends uh, that have big churches. That they're my friends, um, but I can't just call up their church and do and tell them to do something for me, can I? Right? Because I don't have his authority just because I'm his friend. Right? If, oh, wow, me and the pastor are friends. Oh, good for you. He has a lot of those. Right? So but when you're a son or a daughter, you can actually start to uh, uh, um, use what they own, right? It becomes part of your inheritance of who you are, right? My kids always remind me, our land, and I'm like, I didn't see you pay for it, right? <laughs> you know, they know, no, Dad, one day it's going to be mine, right? They know that, so it's going to be mine. All right, so um, the next step after that is to go from, from friends, from sons and daughters to brides, Okay, so the last expression is you actually become married to the king of kings, okay? So my kids like to give me a hard time, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is ours. And I'm like, you didn't pay for it, but uh, when my wife says it's ours, it's yes, ma'am. Right? Right? Smart men in this room, right? Yes, ma'am. All right, whatever she says, that's the way it goes, right? You know, it's like happy wife, happy life, right? So all those sorts of things, come on. And you guys look great today, too. Husbands are like, dang it, now I'm never not going to get to go to church. I have to go every time. We're going to church. That pastor says nice things about us. <laughs> All right, so you become a bride of Christ, and you become married to the Lamb, and then you get the full inheritance of everything you're worth, right? Whatever he has is yours, okay? And those are the stages of relationship. So I want you to see what happened here in John. He says this. He says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, okay? Uh, because everything that I've uh, learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So the way to become a friend is to learn what Jesus taught. That's how you become a friend. That's how you get to friend status and move from servants, okay? Um, but this is what he says. You are my friends if you do what I commanded, all right? So when you learn what God commanded, then maybe you'll get called a friend, all right? So here's the cool thing. So we have to obey God in order to be his friend. We have to do what he commanded. So... That seems pretty easy to do. Thank you for telling me how to be God's friend. Now you know. But here's what we find out in verse 17. It says this at the very end. He says, this is my command. So first he says, you have to 
follow my commands if you want to be my friend. Learn everything that I've taught you. Everything I've revealed to you shows you my commands. So here's my command. Here's the command that makes you a friend of God. Love each other. You want to be a friend of God? Look to your left and look to your right right now. Love them. Some of you guys are like feel awkward just looking. Like, stop. Stop looking at me. Darren, it's weird. Okay? No, we're not going to have the weird meet and greet time in the middle, okay? But uh, <laughs> laugh at all my jokes, and I'll save you from that. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right, but love each other. Seriously, though, like sometimes it's just awkward to say hello to someone, like even just to say hello. And yet Jesus said that if we will love each other, then we will be considered a friend of God. That's the command he wants you to follow. All right, so we learned about this. So here, here's what we do is we don't understand the full power of love. So the, the idea that love can simply create us into friends of God, it can move our relationship level from servants to friends, is a very powerful thing. I don't think we fully understand the weight of what love is and the supernatural power and ability that love has to move our relationship, relationship closer to Jesus just based on our relationship to each other. And a lot of times we forget about that because here's what we do. We don't really fully understand relationships. We understand servants. We understand doing, okay? And, and here's the reality is, if you think that your husband or your wife is your servant, you don't have a relationship, okay? If you look at your relationship and all it is is one spouse doing everything for the other while the other one does nothing, do you consider that a relationship? Is that a relationship? Probably not gonna last very long, is it? I do for you, I do for you, I do for you, and you do nothing. You don't talk to me, you don't love me, you don't say anything nice. A relationship requires a two-way street. It requires it going back and forth. It requires giving as much as you take, correct? But see, the reason why we can't get to the friendship level with God is we understand what love looks like. We don't understand what relationship love looks like. So what we do is we go to God and we love to pray. We love to pray, God bless me. Give me lots of stuff. Fix all my problems I created. I can't, I don't have enough money because I bought too big a house. Bail me out, right? I don't have any money. I bought the new dishwasher and it's the most expensive one, you know, because it's got all the fancy features and it broke. Help me. And so we pray and we ask God. And our version of prayer is our list from God of all the honey-do lists that God has for us, right? Honey-do list from God. And we very rarely go to God and say, God, how can I bless you today? You have blessed me. How can I bless you in return? We think that a relationship with God is to go to him and give him our Christmas lists and our wish lists, and we very rarely reverse that and decide to bless him. And so the question isn't, do you talk to God? The question is, what do you say? What's your relationship with God look like? Is it mutual? Are you blessing each other? When we come in here to worship God, do you worship or do you go, I want to feel the Spirit on me now, Jesus. I came here to feel something. Now, come on. Or are we giving our heart to God so the Spirit will show up? You know, here, here's the thing. I've, you know, I've been married for a minute. It's 20 years this, this, this year. 20 years this year, right? That's a long time. And I figured out a few things. And I've said this a lot of times before. I figured out that if I haven't had a shower and I'm in my sweatpants and I'm eating chicken wings and watching a football game and my wife walks in, I'm like, hey, baby. 
doesn't go over very well, right? But if I play some soft music, put out some candles, throw some rose petals around, because everyone's got those laying around, um, <laughs> right? Put on, see, I, I understand how women work, right? I have these bulbs in my house that are each 800 lumens, okay? That's like 800 candles per bulb, all right? But see, that doesn't impress a woman. That impresses a man, all right? But if you just take a one lumen, okay, one candle power and light that, all of a sudden romance is there. So if I just reduce my power to one, romantic. This is how men think, by the way, women. This is how men think. We're like, okay, so less power, romantic. Okay, I don't understand. Okay, but we'll do this. So you light a couple of one lumens, right, a couple of candles around the room, and you set a romantic atmosphere. And we entice, see, some of you want, are showing up at church and you expect God to just pour himself out on you, but you're doing nothing to entice him. You're doing nothing to invite him into your atmosphere, to set a romantic atmosphere for yourself that says, God, I'm ready to have a one-on-one -on -one with you. I'm ready to have an encounter with you. I'm putting down the chicken wings and turning off the football, and I'm focusing on you, okay? That's what I'm doing, right? And wives, the reverse is true, right? You're, you're, you're ready to have an encounter. You're, put, you're, gonna, you're going to stop all the, the tasks that you're doing, right, and being busy, 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 because we know how women work. I mean, at least how my wife works. My wife is like, I'm like, hey, give me a hug, and she's like, I got I to gotta do, I got to get the laundry in and I got to do that because you don't do anything you know <laughs> yeah I know you had to study okay so she's task oriented she's like she had a day off the other day and she's like I am going to completely rearrange the house right <laughs> my children were very unhappy okay and so she does that right but sometimes you have to stop and say hey you know, I, I feel like the, the really the expectation of our relationship with God is very much more so that God is a woman and that we are like the men, okay? And, and what I mean by that is that God is always doing stuff, and, and sometimes uh, he's, he's busy doing a, a, kind of reverse. We're, we're kind of busy, and he's busy, and we're just stopping and going, hey— Hey, what about me? Hey, hey, what, what about me? And, and we're not really setting an atmosphere that makes him stop. See, God's got a lot to do, right? I'm not saying that he's too busy for you. Right? He's, he's omnipotent and all that kind of stuff. Okay, but what I'm saying is that a lot of times we, we just kind of, we get in his way and we just go, I'm here, do something. And we don't set any atmosphere of expectancy. And God, he wants to be enticed into your life. That's what love looks like. So is it go both ways. And that's, that's the spirit just moving through me. So um, here's what we do. So let me ask you this. Do we attempt to bless God at the same level that he blesses us? Now, I say attempt because, of course, we can't, okay? The fact that we cannot outgive God is not a reason for us not to try. It's the reason we keep trying. Because we serve a God that no matter how much we try, he says, I will do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you ask or desire. Let me, let me rephrase that for you in a modern paraphrase. Ready? I can one-up you, okay? You think that's romance. Let me show you. You think that's some time together. Let me show you. And I understand that. God is stirring something inside my heart. This morning, he broke me, okay? God is like trying to take me into a deeper place of understanding what his love actually looks like. Uh, my mom sent me uh, a notice today to remind me that today was the National Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's the day that we remember that 6,000 Jews were killed in a terrible, terrible tragedy that happened, okay? And, and, and that's amazing because... 
look, out of tragedy comes triumph, okay? Out of every test comes a testimony. Every mess turns into a message when you allow God to work through it. Uh, and, and in the Jews, it's no different. So when I think about the Holocaust, yes, it, it hurts my heart as, you know, that knowing that my blood was in that Holocaust. But I also understand something. I see the Word of God from a different perspective. I understand that six million Jews were put to death and almost exterminated for, uh, off the face of the earth. That they were almost brought to the brink of destruction completely and wiped off in a genocide that was horrific, okay? Let me tell you something about history. Do you know that no nation has ever regained their nation without a war? Do you know that? No nation has ever regained their nation's status without a war. Do you know that in the history of histories, no dead language has ever been revived, right? How many of you guys speak Latin today? Anybody? No. Okay, so dead languages are studied by scholars and never revived. In the history of histories, no nation's ever been revived without a war, and a language has never been brought back. But yet, here's a situation where six million Jews were put to death and tried to be wiped off the face of the earth. And a couple of years later, they were handed back their nation without firing a single shot or being involved in the war. And then their dead language revived back. Okay, in the Bible, you read over and over again about how the Jewish people were driven out of their land and forced into exile and put into slavery, right? Egypt and Babylon. These guys were like, Woo, we're doing land of plenty. Now we're in jail. Oh, we're in land of plenty over and over and over again. And here's the cool thing. The Holocaust is our generation's Bible story come to life. It's the only time. Think about it. A nation was given back to a people that had lost it for 2,000 years. And they didn't get in the war. And they didn't fire a shot. When has that ever happened? But God, right? But God restored the nation of Israel. And so normally that's my perspective. And that's why I'm like, yeah, thank Jesus, you know, thank you, Jesus, that you showed up and you turned everything meant for evil for good. Thank you. But this morning, as I thought about the Holocaust for a half a second, I broke. And I just, I began to, I was at home and I was trying to read my notes and I just started like out of nowhere. I'm like, and I just started crying. And I don't mean like that one, like very manly, you know, like one tear streaming down the face, like to show that, oh, he cares and he's so manly. Okay. No, I like ugly cried. Okay. I ugly cried. I seriously, and, the, and God began to break my heart, and he said, he goes, I'm giving you my heart. I'm like, I don't want that. Like, like, but I started to, all of a sudden, the Lord just started showing me masses of lost people. Masses of lost people, and he goes, as much as you are sad that those people have died, he goes, my heart breaks for those that are lost, that don't know me. It's worse to never know me and live than it is to know me and die. And my heart began to break for those, and I started to weep and cry, so much so when I, even when I got to church, I walked in, and my wife came up to me, hi, good morning, you know, and, and uh, I'm like, hi, and she's like, what's wrong? And I went, and I just ran away. Seriously, I ran away crying and put myself at the altar and cried for probably half an hour, and I don't do that often. And I'm, I'm tearing up now, even as I'm saying that. And I just began to have a heart like God's. And I began to feel his heart for his people and for you. 
and for the lost and for what God is trying to do in your life. And he's trying to get you to understand the richness and the deepness and the wideness of his love for you and his mercy for you and his compassion for you. That when you are walking through trials and tribulations, when you are walking through hardships, he cares about every one of them. And yes, Jesus even ugly cries for us. He cares about what you're going through. The richness of his love is not something to be taken lightly. And if you understood the supernatural ability of love, it would change your heart forever. Because inside of love, inside of love, it moves our relationship to a level of authority with Jesus that we never had before. Because a friend has certain access, but a son has more. And a bride has the most. And as we move through the levels of loving each other and loving God, we grow in authority. So you want to know why some of your prayers aren't getting answered? You don't love him yet. You don't fully understand what love is. Because what I said this morning was this. If you don't trust, you don't really love. Until you can trust all in, you don't love all in. And so if you're waiting for God to show up in your 11th hour or show up and resurrect your situation, and you're waiting for a God that you don't truly trust, then you don't truly love him, and you can't unlock that relationship status that allows you more access to the power and authority of God. Though glory you're waiting on is in his compassion, not in a burning cloud. So there's a story that best represents this, and, and I'll hurry through it and close with it. It's the story of Jesus turning water into wine, and it's in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and it goes like this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So right there, we see this. Jesus wasn't performing the wedding, was he? So he wasn't in, like, VIP status at this wedding, was he? It doesn't say that he was a special honored guest at this wedding. In fact, Jesus had not started performing any miracles yet, all right? Uh, he was waiting until he was turned 30, because in Jewish culture, you can't start practicing being a rabbi until you're 30, all right? So uh, according to man's laws, and he respects that, he's waiting to 30 to, to get his ministry going, okay? Um, and so he'd just been invited to the wedding. So he's not in charge of it. He's not officiating. And he said this, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And he said, woman, why do you involve me? By the way, uh, my Bible specifically had a footnote that said this word woman was in no way offensive to women back then. Okay, so just, just so you know, they made that very clear. Like, okay, that, that was not a woman, okay? As my wife says to me all the time. Um, yeah, she always like, woman? She said, maybe because I'm the one that cries. I don't know. All right, woman. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. So Jesus is saying, it's not my time to reveal who I am. All right? So he makes a protest and says, this is not my time. See, but there's something about relationship that matters to God. Okay? You want to move the heart of God? Be his mama. All right? Right? But son. Right? You moms know how to do it. You don't love your mama? Okay? This is not even Mary's wedding. It doesn't even say they're related to anybody. They're just inv invited. And Mary says, you know what? You make them some wine. Okay, so one thing that we find clearly here is that Mary knows exactly who her son is. Everyone else hasn't seen it, but she's very aware of what he's capable of. Okay? And so she asks him to help out this bride and groom. Okay, why would he reveal himself in this wedding to make them some extra wine? Okay? These 
were probably already a little tipsy to begin with, okay? And so why would he do this at the end there, okay? Because God is more interested in his relationship with you than he is about you following all the rules, okay? He's more interested in you spending time with him with whether or not you obeyed the Sabbath perfectly according to the Scripture, okay? Now, he's interested in you following his commands. Don't get me wrong. But if your commands come, if your following of commands come without a relationship, he wants nothing to do with that. Nothing. Why do you involve me, said. My hour has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I didn't catch this until recently. She doesn't argue with him. She doesn't put up a protest. She doesn't even answer his question. She surrenders. She has told him what she wants. And she surrenders to the king of kings and trusts him that he will do the right thing in, the right, in that situation. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come yet. His mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus makes a decision. This woman trusts me. This woman is my mother. I have a relationship with her. And so because of my relationship and her trust factor and her knowing who I am, I'm going to do something pretty awesome right now. And my time has come. See, sometimes Jesus is waiting for you to make a step. But look at this. Look what happens here. This gets even richer. So she turns over all her trust to him, right? And she does something. I believe that trusting God is, is infectious and it will spread onto other people. So listen to this. His mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So imagine those five-gallon water jugs, okay? And now imagine... Four of those to five of those, six of those, okay? So this is a big stone basin, right? And I got the whole pottery that might have held this kind of ceremonial water, okay? And so this big giant jug full, and they have to go, they can't carry it down and get water in it, so they're bringing water and dumping it into these ceremonial jugs. Now, now, did it say they're wine jugs? Ceremonial washing ju uh, uh, jugs. So these are... Very, very specific. These are used for cleansing, for spiritual cleansing. And he's having them filled with water so he can do a miracle. These are not wine jugs. And I think we get that confused. There's a washing taking place. There's something supernatural happening that he is setting up something for. And it's very interesting that this is the very first miracle he ever does. He's trying to set the stage. He's trying to get a message across to you. And he says this. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I want you to notice they filled them to the brim. I want you to notice the servants did everything he asked until it couldn't be done anymore. So they didn't just fill them up most of the way. They filled them up to the very brim. Then he told them, now draw some out. Draw some out what? Some, some what? Some water, right? Does it say it's wine? It doesn't, does it? So draw some out. Draw some water out. So draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Wait, wait, wait a second. Um, we need more wine, uh, and you just had us fill up the ceremonial tubs of water, and now you want us to go take that to the master, and he's going to be mad at us for bringing him water instead of wine. Said no one in the story. Right? 
Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. Say they did so. You see what happens next is, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. When did it get turned into wine? On the way. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You've saved the best till now. See, sometimes you're standing there waiting on God to turn your water into wine. You are in a situation where you have nothing and you, you are broken. You are in the middle of a storm. You're in the middle of a trial and you're going, God, I need you to come in the middle of this storm and take my test and turn it into a testimony. And we stand there going, God, why have you not turned my test into a testimony? And he's saying, because you haven't taken it and walked forward and trusted me completely. But God, all I got is water. I turn it into wine if you'll take a step. I'll turn it into wine. God will take your brokenness and turn it into a testimony. God will take your hurt and pain and turn it into the best love you've ever had. But he won't do it until you actually just trust him and pick it up and say, God, I'm willing to go where you tell me to go. I'm willing to do what you're telling me to do. And even though I don't see it now, even though all I see is water, and that's not what I'm looking for. Let me tell you something about water, okay? Water brings life, but all it does is sustain life. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't make you feel good. And no one says, oh, that's good, right? That's not what we crave. And Jesus understands that water is just what keeps us alive. But in him, he's the water of life. And he can take brokenness. He can take uh, emptiness and make it rich and fulfilling if you trust him. That's what he can do. And see, we're good living on the world's version of love. Watered down love. We're good living with some water, right? Because we're alive. It keeps us going. We're just fine. So we love people with a watered down love. And we've never actually surrendered, laid down our life, and come to a complete understanding of what the love of God looks like. See, Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his only son. And he laid down his life for you and I. That's what he did. Because he understood what love looked like. And I believe there is a supernatural, profound love that exists inside of us that is the key to unlocking the supernatural and profound power of God in your life. I believe that when you truly love God, when you truly understand what love looks like and what love is, that it will unlock something inside of you that breaks free all of the holds of the enemy against you. You need to invite them to church. Hey, if your phone rings, just answer it and tell them why they're in church. Okay? Give it to me, I'll invite them. I'll invite them. I'll invite them. Why? Because I love them too. They know you're in church if you invited them. They wouldn't call you if you invited them. I'm telling you. And if you want them to stop calling you permanently, keep inviting them over and over and over, right? They'll either show up or stop calling you, okay? That's just how it'll work, all right? The power of love to change your life is powerful. 
And see, just like that beach, just like the beach I was on this week, when I got on the beach, my problems left. I still had all the same problems. But they didn't matter anymore. They didn't hold the same weight over me. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding was guarding my heart and my mind. And I was able just to stand there on that beach and everything drifts away. The problems remain. But understanding the creator of the universe is bigger than my situations and my mess was a, a moment of clarity and a moment of peace for me that needs to be for you. So on, on the ride home, my cousin was, was talking about some problems he was having. and He was getting himself riled up to the point where he's like, I, I need to stop. I'm going to cuss, right? I'm going to cuss in a second. I'm getting mad. And I said, let me ask you something. Did those problems exist earlier when we were on the beach? Or are these new problems? And he goes, no, they're the same problems I've had. I was like, but now you're ready to, you're so upset about them that you're ready to cuss. And he goes, yeah. I said, where was that upset on the beach? He goes, I didn't have it. He goes, how did you feel on the beach? And he goes, I was, I was at total peace. Yet your problems were still there. I was like, your problems don't define your peace level. Your problems don't define your relationship. Your problems don't define your relationship to God. Some of you guys saying, bless you, we're not here for my Black Plague sermon. Um, I do not wish you will die. Um, so your problems don't define that. So I told him, I said, you know what? The next time that problem gets to you, the next time that problem weighs on you, the next time you're in that situation, you can't just seem to see heads or tails. Put yourself at the beach first. I said, go there now. So I had him close his eye, or he wasn't closing his eyes. He was driving. We would have died. Um, I, I had him visualize, and I said, see the beach. See the water today. Now look down and see the shells. See them. So do this. Picture your problem right now. Whatever you're going through, whatever your situation is, whatever that thing is that's bothering you, see the problem. It's frustrating. It's right there. Now I want you to instead look at the ocean. I want you to see the waves. Just see this with me for a second. If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes to visualize this. See the waves. See them crashing. Look down. You have no shoes on. Your, your feet are in the sand. And you feel like the cool sand in between your toes and the grit. And there's the waves just crashing and the sound of the waves coming. And the sunlight just beating on your face and it's bright. The sun's coming down. It's warm. It's beautiful. And all you see is white sandy beaches. See, we still have to deal with our problems, but we can deal with it from that perspective. I can guarantee you that almost every one of you that see your problem out of peace when you go to that place or go to wherever your special place is, whatever makes you happy, whatever, whatever stirs you and gives you peace, allows you to have peace in that moment. Deal with your situation from that perspective. Deal with your situation from this perspective of how big God is and how much he loves you. The God of all creation, the one that created the vastness of the sea, and the completeness of the universe loves you and wants a relationship with you. He's not interested in you being his servant anymore. But he wants to call you friend. 
He wants to call you a son and a daughter, and he wants to call you the bride of Christ. He wants to grow his relationship with you so that you can feel his heart, and you can have a heart like his, and you can love like him. And that's when you'll see situations change. That's when you'll see your prayers being answered. That's when you'll see the power of God show up in your ministry. And when you pray for people, that's how you do it. But I'm telling you right now, if you never bother to take a step out towards that, you will never ever realize that God is waiting for you with a miracle. 